don't know, it's an Old Testament book, um, it, the story, story of Joshua. Joshua is um, the, the, the leader of Israel after Moses, right? And the book of Joshua begins just as the Israelites, God's people, are, are coming out of Egypt. They've been wandering in the desert, and they're coming into the land of Cana, the promised land. And God is basically telling them, I'm giving you this land. Like, I'm going to have good things for you. Get excited about that. But they're, but they're also dealing with some loss and some exhaustion in the middle of that, right? Moses, in the beginning of the book of Joshua, Moses has just died, which is kind of a bummer, right? Kind of a bummer that, that, that their leader had just died, and they've just spent 40 years, not 40 days, not 40 months, 40 years wandering around in the desert, trying to get to where they were going. And they're finally at the cusp of, of going into this new place, and they're excited, but we could understand if they might also feel a little weary and a little bit tired because a lot has happened. And just as they're being sent out into this next step, God talks to them to encourage them. And that's where we get the beginning of the book of Joshua. Joshua 1 starts out like this. God is speaking to Joshua, and he says this, my, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land that I'm giving the Israelites. I will be with you just as I was with Moses, and I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. And above all, be strong and very courageous, in case you didn't get it the first time, uh, to observe carefully the whole instruction of my servant Moses commanded, the, my service Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. So in the face of a new challenge, in the face of something new, something that's going to be lasting and meaningful and fulfilling and really, really part of what, what these people are called to do, God is giving them some advice, some encouragement, some instruction, and he's telling them, be strong and be courageous. As you step out in this new thing, you might feel weary, you might feel exhausted, but you need to be strong and courageous. But I think it's worth thinking about what that looks like. What does it look like to be strong, to be courageous, and to pursue the things of God? Because I think it's easy to read this and think, well, God's instruction to be strong and courageous means that they're just like supposed to like hype themselves up. You know, just like be like, oh, we don't feel strong, we don't feel courageous, so we're just going to like do some mental gymnastics. Gonna be like, oh, I feel strong. Like, talk to yourself. Like, positive, positive uh, confession, right? Just say some words. Like, name it and claim it. Name it. Name the strength. <laughs> Find that courage. Um, and just like, get a little bit more energy. Even pushing yourself past to the point of exhaustion. Just, just like, give a little bit more. Find that little bit of strength just to get over the finish line. But I don't think that's what God is telling them at all. I don't think that's, that's the right way that he means that they should be strong and courageous. I don't think that's what God is advising. I mean, just look at, look at I mean, even the rest of this text. What does strong and courageous for them look like? It looks like, observe carefully the whole instruction of my servant Moses. This book of instructions must not depart from your mouth. You're to meditate on it day and night. This is not God saying, just push a little bit harder. 
Just find a little bit more strength. Just give a little bit more. Just work a little bit more. It's God saying, find a lasting, sustainable, deeper source of strength and courage. Tap into something that you don't even have an awareness of. Find a kind of strength that's going to invigorate you, not just for today or for the next week or for the next month where you're going to have to go into the promised land, but for your whole life from this point on. Be strong and courageous. Not just by pushing harder or working more, but finding a new kind of strength. And for us at I-90, as I think about this new year, we've got a, a ton of new things going on, but here's what I want us to do. I want us to take this same advice. I want us to be strong and courageous, but I don't want it to be just that we would hype ourselves up because I have had enough of that at church. I want us to be a church, not just where we're like working ourselves up or hyping ourselves up or just, just giving a little bit more, just getting over the finish line, but being exhausted and burnt out and hurting and broken at the end of it. I want us to be set up for the long run. I want us to find the kind of strength and courage that can sustain us today, tomorrow, next year, 10 years, 30 years down the road. I want you guys to, to be the sorts of people who figure out what it means to be strong and courageous in the Lord for your whole lifetime, not just for this week. I need to learn to do that. And I, I, you know what? We have like a very particular word. The New Testament is really all about this word, and actually the Old Testament is too, if you pay attention. The strength and courage that we need, the source of our strength and courage as Christians is called faith. That's what the Bible tells us to have, a kind of sustained, ongoing strength that comes from faith. Our strength, our courage, our long-term joy and power and, and, and like the ability to go through life comes from our faith, a faith that is grounded, that's deep, that's life-giving. We need to learn how to cultivate that kind of faith. If we're going to go past just like hyping ourselves up and finding real strength, real courage, real transformation in our life. So this morning, that's kind of just what I, I want to just stay right there and talk about faith this morning. I want to talk about faith with you. And I think it's worth thinking rather deeply about because um, it's a really common word in the church, not outside the church, but in the church, it's a really common word. Just like, oh, you got a problem? Just throw some faith on it, right? That's this, we just think of it. That's like, 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 like the uh, panacea. SAT word. Uh, <laughs> it's just going to fix every, every problem, right? Um, we just need some faith. But I also think this. I think we misunderstand what faith really is. I think we misunderstand what faith is biblically. So what is faith? Like, let's think about it. Um, I was able to get lunch with a friend recently, um, and we, we shared, you know, just, just some, some things. He, he was struggling a little bit with his faith, feeling like his faith was less vibrant and, you know, like not knowing what was going on. And I totally got what he was saying because I was just like, yeah, I, I've been there. I've absolutely been in that place. And what I sort of think of what he was describing and what I've experienced is that, that I, I went through and I felt like he was going through, and I, I, frankly, I think maybe a lot of you are going through the same thing, a midlife faith crisis. That's to say, you know, you, you come to Jesus usually when you're young, but not necessarily when you're young, and, and you, you start off and you're excited, right? But at some point, 
that excitement fades. And then you're asking yourself, well, what's the problem? Like, what went wrong? Like, what do I need to do? Because it looks like this, like, like you start out, you come to Jesus, you're, you're excited, you're hyped up, and you're just like, man, Jesus is so cool. And I look at these Christians, and they're so cool, and they, they like, have their lives together, and, and they're full of joy, and they're awesome. And, and then you find a church that's not totally backward, and that's shocking because you thought all churches were just the worst, <laughs> right? But you find a pastor, and he's, maybe he's got, like, skinny jeans, right? Maybe he's got an earring, and you're young enough that you think that's cool. And that's cool. You know, that's great, right? Should I get an earring, guys? Should I do that? Let's see. No. Nah. <laughs> Maybe I'll just do it one day just for kicks. <laughs> see, like, how many people will leave the church if I get an earring? Uh, it'll be fun to find out. Right? And so, so you, yeah, you're like, you're into it, right? And the thing is, the thing is about that, like, I can, we can kind of laugh about that because we're all older and we live in the suburbs and we say, oh, youth. <laughs> right? Um, but this, that's not like it's illegitimate. It's like, it's like real people finding Jesus, getting excited about it, God doing something in your life. Like, and I had that experience when I was just out of college. Like, like you just find some new stuff, and, and you have this greater awareness of God's presence in your life. And, and your life starts to change in good ways. Like, like, man, you have faith. You're believing in what Jesus says, and, and it's, it's changing you, and it's, it's good. But what happens, at least it's what happened to me, I think it happens to a lot of people, is you get older, and you begin to change a bit, get married, your, your life changes, you, you have kids, you have a career, you start to experience some of the difficult realities of life, pain, death, suffering, none of that goes away just because you follow Jesus. You start to see, you start to see and this is, this is probably a really hard thing, you start to see those Christians that you thought were awesome actually have problems, and they're not as kind and joyful or faithful as you thought they were, and maybe even some of those pastors that you thought were, were great, they actually, they actually have like a lot of secrets and they didn't really live up to what you thought they should. And those emotions, right, the, the excitement, the joy that you had that you felt at one point, it starts to just kind of settle down. And then you start to wonder, do I still have faith? Because before when I, when I had faith, it came along with a lot of, like, observable transformation. And I felt things. And I had an emotional life where, where things were clicking, right? And I, I had joy, and I was thinking the right things, but... But because I don't feel that kind of, kind of strength, that kind of joy, that kind of emotional satisfaction that I did at that point, then, then I start to, to wonder, what's going on? I start to feel discouraged, and I start to wonder, how, how do I get that back? But here's the thing, and I, I think it's important to me to say this. That's really normal. That's part of just kind of like being a middle-aged Christian. H- having, having gone down the Christian walk for a certain amount of time, you're eventually going to feel this way. It's a very common problem, but I think it's, it, it comes from a common misunderstanding about, about what faith is and, and how faith actually works out, how it plays out, how, how you experience it. So, so I want to just, let's talk about that a little bit further. Right, because see, what happens is we, we first hear the gospel, and I, I've got a little slide kind of illustrating what, what I'm saying here. We, we first hear the gospel and we understand it. And, and like, this, is, this is like John 3.16, right? Probably the best like, Bible verse that sums up what we would think of as the gospel, the good news that Jesus preached. And that's John 3.16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like that's the thing when we're just coming on and, and we're discovering Jesus that we find out about and we're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I like that idea. That God, who shouldn't care about me at all, 
actually, actually does somehow care about me in, in this broken world, in this world where everything is messed up, to the point that he gives himself, his son, so that if I just believe in him, if I just trust in him, I'm going to have like a new life. I'm going to be, have, have my sin taken away. I'm not going to have any condemnation. I'm not going to feel the weight of guilt anymore. So we, so we come and we, we believe that thing. And the truth is that that message of the gospel sinks down into our heart. Right? It's, not, it's not like a head knowledge. It's, 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 it's something that resounds in the deepest part of us. And we just say, yeah, that makes so much sense. And the result is that we have all these thoughts and this emotional response to the, having received this message and believed it and, and actually thinking, yeah, that, I think that's true. And so we have all this joy. We feel forgiven, accepted, loved by God, not because we're so great, not because we earned it, but because he just has gone out of his way to let us know, I really love you and I really care about you. And in the middle of all your brokenness, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to press into a relationship with you to the point where I'm going to assure you that if you just keep trusting in me, resting in me, abiding in me, having faith in me, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to see you all the way home. You're going to have life. And we feel the effects of that message going down into our hearts and changing our, our lives. And when we feel it through thoughts and emotions and we start to think a new way and we start to feel a new way, at least to some degree for a certain period of time. This is pretty common in the life of a believer. But what happens is that as life goes on, maybe it's a year, maybe it's 10 years, we start to take inventory of those thoughts and emotions, right? Because we love to feel things and think things and feel like things are clicking and making sense to us. And we noticed, man, I'm just, I just don't have the same feelings, emotional life, about the gospel, about Jesus as I once did. I don't have the same thoughts, and, and I don't feel the same way, and I don't quite think the same way. And, and so... We're disturbed by this, naturally. We're disturbed by this. And so we try to change it, right? So we try to change it, but what do we do is we, you know, I've got another slide for this. We, we, we start to try to change our thoughts and our emotions. Have you ever tried to do that? You ever tried to change your feelings? My 10-year-old will tell you, it's not possible. I just keep feeling this way. I just, I can't like, like, like put in all the efforts you want all day long to try to change your thoughts and emotions just on that, that level. You, you, you will get frustrated. And I, you know, frankly, I think a lot of Christians just, this is where they live. I want to change what I think and how I feel. I want to have faith. And so I'm just going to put a lot of effort into changing my thoughts and my feelings. But that's futile. That's, that's a futile exercise. It just doesn't work. So what do we do? <laughs> we would just leave it there? No, we won't leave it there. <laughs> there there's hope. There's, there's, a way, there's a way forward. What do we do? How do we have faith? Like, how do we exercise faith? How do we develop a sustaining, courageous, strong faith? Well, you know who has a great word on this? My good buddy, Dallas Willard. Right? I think I... Uh, sorry, not Sorry. It's been a long time, guys. It's been a long time. We haven't talked about Dallas Willard. I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've been itching to. So Dallas Willard has some good words about this. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. If you don't know, I'm obsessed with Dallas Willard. Uh, Willard explains something that I think is really helpful. 
and it's this. Faith is not a confrontation with your thoughts and your emotions. It's not that. It's not what we think it is. It's not an act of the will. But it is actually a confrontation with the deepest parts of ourselves. I've got kind of illustrate this uh, back, with, back to our diagram. What he, what he basically says is, is faith is what it always was in the beginning. Faith is, is a message, the message of the gospel, the things that Jesus taught that goes into our heart or what he calls our worldview, right? Because, because the heart, the mind, this is like the, the, the Bible uses various ways to talk about our inmost, deepest part of ourself, right? It could be your heart, it could be your mind, and, and if we read, the, read scripture like changing our hearts and changing our minds, like that is what the gospel does. Right? So, so the gospel is always, it is, begins and it continues to be a confrontation with our deepest part of ourselves, our deepest beliefs, and, and what, what he calls our, our worldview. And he explains what worldview is. He says this, he says, worldview, simply put, consists of the most general and basic assumption, assumptions about what is real and what is good including our assumptions about who we are and what we should do. That may sound terribly abstract to you, and it probably does, but there is, in fact, nothing more practical than our worldview, for it determines the orientation of everything else we do. One's worldview need not to be recognized as such to have its effects. Much of it lies outside of our consciousness in the moment of action, embedded in our body and its social environment, including our history, language, and culture. It radiates throughout our life as a background assumptions. It's thoughts too deep for words, but any thoughtful observer can discern the essential outlines of what it is. What we assume to be real and what we assume to be valuable will govern our attitudes and actions, period. And the gospel deals with the heart, it deals with the worldview, it deals with our most deeply held assumptions, the place where we just operate by default unconsciously, the gospel is going into there. It is a confrontation with that, not our, the surface level of our thoughts and our emotional life. It goes deeper. It goes to the heart. There's a spiritual work being done in the heart when we have faith. So when we're called to have faith, we're being called to confront our deeply held beliefs that are contrary to the gospel. The things which just do not accord with what Jesus tells us is true. It's the good news that we first believe, right? It, it gets into our hearts and it changes the way we see life. But the fact is that that is just like the beginning of what Jesus is going to do. We, we come to understand that we're loved by God. He's died to take away our sin, our shame, to, to, to remove any separation that would exist between us and him. And to just basically like wrap us in his arms. To, to renew and restart a, a kind of relationship like, like he had created at the beginning. He died so that we could have fellowship with God once again. Reconciliation with God once again. Like, but that basic idea that Jesus loves me is just the beginning of something that God is doing. Because there's more hiding in my heart that just contradicts that. The gospel hits us really hard because it's really good news. But the forgiveness of Jesus is just the tip of the iceberg. It's essential. It's the doorway into this whole new transformed life. We can't go to this new life without Jesus. But Jesus wants to transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform our whole view of life and ourselves and everything that we think about. He wants to change our total understanding of what our life is. Jesus came to the world with a very specific message, a message that's rooted in his worldview, 
Like Jesus understood the world so differently than anyone else around him. That's why he was so compelling. If you read the Gospels, the account of what Jesus was like, people were like flocking to Jesus because they're like, this guy talks and he just like understands things in a way that no one else has understood things. And it is so fascinating. Jesus taught the religious leaders of his day. He, he totally blew up their worldview. He taught the political authorities of his day. He totally blew up all the assumptions they had. He taught just the regular poor people going about their, their life and their work. He taught them all these sorts of things. And, and they were just amazed at what he was revealing to be true. Because he understood and he taught and he revealed the deep things of God. He is the image of the invisible God. That's what the Bible says about it. He's like God in the flesh coming to reveal truth to people about how the world works and who we are and what it's all for. Jesus came to make that all clear to us and to invite us into a new life, a life of renewed knowledge to understand and have fellowship with God. Because the faith that we're called to is to believe, first and foremost, that Jesus loves us, he died for us, he's forgiven to us, he's, he's forgiven us, that, but that's the first step of what God is doing in our life. A deepening faith will go even deeper and follow through that message all the way. Jesus wants to change the way we see the world. He wants us to know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And as we lean into that, it's there that we find this sustainable, courageous life. Let me explain, let me explain a little bit more. Dallas Willard basically explains that all worldviews answer four questions, okay? So like, like in your heart, you believe some sort of answer to these four questions. The first is, what is reality? Who is well-off or blessed? Who's truly a good person? How does one become a truly good person? I feel like that's, that's a common assumption. Everybody has answers to these questions. You have an answer to the question. It might be in accordance with, 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 with biblical wisdom. It might be in accordance with, with Jesus' teaching. It might not be. And really, as, as we, we read the Gospels, as we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we, we understand the ministry of Jesus, we see that Jesus had very specific worldview and specific answers to these questions, unique answers Answers that people had not had before, even people who knew about God. And really the substance of his teaching ministry, that he, he goes around explaining these things, right? If you read the Sermon on the Mount, that's Jesus explaining his worldview, answering the questions, who's blessed, right? It's fascinating what Jesus thinks the blessed life is and what I assume the blessed life is. Like Jesus had answers to these specific questions. So this is just like Dallas Willard's like summation, right? I got, we could spend all day and go and read the Gospels, but we'll just take Dallas Willard's points. Go back and check them if you don't believe what, what, I, what I'm seeing here. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> intermission. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. That's, I didn't mean to make you feel awkward, but um, I love it. Um, Right, so, so Jesus has, has specific answers to those four questions. What is reality? Jesus was all about saying God is reality and his kingdom is reality. That's what's, that's what's true. That's what's right. That's what we need to pay attention to. Who's well off? Who's blessed? Jesus had an answer to that. Anyone who's alive in the kingdom of God. That is anyone who's actually engaged with God, following his will, seeking his will, living a life of interactive like, relationship with him. That, that was Jesus, that's what Jesus understood the answer to this question. Who's truly a good person? 
Man, the, the Jews thought, oh, it's just people who follow these laws. But he says anyone who is pervaded with love. Love is the thing. Love is what we're called to. A love for God who first loved us and, and who in his son taught us what love is. And then out of an abundance of such of a kingdom life, we bring love to all whom we have meaningful contact to our neighbors. We love God. We love neighbors. That's what makes us, that's a good person. The the person who loves God and loves their neighbor is a good person. How does one become a truly good person? Well, Jesus' answer was always, follow me, be a disciple, trust in me, have faith in me, live your life, place your confidence in Jesus, become a student or apprentice in kingdom living. Jesus had specific answers to what it would look like for people to live a life of strength and peace and joy, and it came down to he revealed a specific worldview. The gospel is the good news that Jesus proclaimed, but it is far bigger than we tend to think of it as. I I really have just come so much more convicted of it. It's not, it does not, like it is so essential. We must understand that Jesus died so that we could have sin forgiven. Like that's, that's the atonement, that's a central Christian doctrine. But that is just the beginning of a life with him. And I think that a lot of times we're in this place where we're having a midlife crisis of faith because we've just like, we've we've believed that, but we have not let the gospel change the deeper parts of our our worldview, of our heart, of of the false things that we believe. He died to forgive us, to give us life. That is the beginning of a life lived according to truth. The good news, the gospel of Jesus is deeper than just like, it does more than just be about my emotions, right? It cuts to the core of me. If, if I believe it. And it, it changes my life. And it fills me with strength and confidence and courage if I believe it. And the call that we have, if we're going to have a sustained life of faith, is to really deal with the stuff in my heart. We're confronting the false things with the better good news of Jesus. And so, I mean, like, to just think through these questions, like, to get a little personal. Like, what is reality? The the fact is that living in the world today, we are consumed, our attention is just caught up in things that Jesus will ultimately, says, are ultimately just not of the greatest value. We're told that what's real is how much money is in our bank account, what people think about us, how stable we feel, our emotional life. What is value in real is the rat race, right? But Jesus basically reveals that there is actually something more true. God is building his kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming among people, and we just get to be a part of that. That's what Jesus tells us is real. We, we, we would ask the question, man, who's well off and who's blessed? And, and we're so often tempted to think, I mean, every day in my life, this is another part of middle age, I think you, 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 you think, man, am I really well off? Am I blessed? And then you start to get anxious about your money. 
start to get anxious about the economy. Because, because in my heart, I really believe that to be okay, I need to have more money. I need to have more security. But Jesus says, man, that's just like, that's just like a lie. If, if I would understand and have faith, I would actually understand that what really matters to live a blessed life is, is to just like be present with God. And so if I'm poor, it's okay. Because Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And if I'm, if I'm hurting and broken and mourning, it's okay, because Jesus says, those will be comforted. And if I'm just like down and out and feeling like, man, if when I look at what the world says is reality, I don't have any of the goods of this world, Jesus says, that's because that's not what the real world is like. What matters, actually, is that you would live in the kingdom, and in the kingdom, what matters is the grace and love and truth and power of God, his, his kindness to you. You can be a blessed, well-off person without the goods of the world because the truth is that you need something greater. And then I start to ask myself, well, am I a good person? Like, am I okay in life? And, and I, I realize that the truth is that even though I might feel guilty about myself or, or about the things that I've done, then I just realize what the, what the truth is, according to the kingdom, is that I'm forgiven. And Jesus is, is pouring out his grace and his kindness. And I don't have to be okay with myself because I think I've lived up to some standards or rules that I've made up. You know, I don't have to be a self-righteous kind of moralistic kind of person. I don't have to be like this, this sort of person who is like, man, I'm just so self-disciplined and so, so I'm the best and I'm really making God happy because I'm really performing up to a certain standard. I can put all that stuff away and I can understand God is really just trying to make me a person who, who loves other people and who loves him well. And that's, that's really all that matters. And actually, like, the schemes, the, the false things that I come up with to feel okay about myself are actually making me a less loving person. They're actually making me a more judgmental person. So, so actually, instead, I can just, just trust in the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and I can just say, man, Jesus is just teaching me to love him and to love other people. And then I can ask myself, well, how do I, how do I become a good person? Because it's like, it's like great that I'm forgiven, that I can live in love, but how do I really become a person of love? And Jesus has an answer to that. It's, it's be a disciple. Just follow after me. Just like, just like how, did, how is Israel going to be strong and courageous? They're going to be careful to obey. They're going to listen to the counsel of God. They're going to not, even, not just be like strong, but think about it. Meditate on it day and night. I'm going to think about what is, what is God telling me? What is Jesus revealing about the world? What is, what is the truth about what, what God has said? Is how, what's really true and what's really right and who am I really? I just meditate on that stuff day and night. And the more, more I think about it, that's what faith is. Faith is just like letting the truth settle down into my heart and changing me to the point where I'm no longer anxious about all this stuff that I used to be so caught up in. And instead, I am eager to build my life in the kingdom of God, to build my life according to what Jesus says is true and good and ultimate. And I think that a lot of us, right, we're just focusing on the wrong things. We're trying to change our thoughts and our emotions. But the invitation that we have is to let the gospel, the truth, sink down into our hearts and change our inmost parts. To let Jesus do a transformation of mind and spirit and heart and to replace our, our anxiety and our self-righteousness and our lovelessness and our selfishness with his love. And that is the work of a lifetime. 
but it is the urgent work of Christians. If you want faith, if you want the emotional life, the emotional transformation, you have to do the discipleship work of letting the gospel get into your heart. Dallas Willard defines faith this way. He says, it is a commitment to action, often beyond our natural abilities, based on a knowledge of God and God's ways. Faith is not changing my emotional life, just forcing myself to believe what I don't actually believe in my heart. It is Doing the stuff that's needed, I'm going to listen to what Jesus has told me is true. I'm going to have knowledge, and then I'm going to receive that knowledge and act upon it. And that is going to lead me to a transformed life. I think we are at a very strange part of the American church where we have stopped thinking that discipleship matters at all. And I hope that we can change that. I hope that at I-90, we're not those kind of people. I hope that we understand that knowing Jesus, knowing what he says and what he speaks, and, and, and the true faith is based on that knowledge, right, and leaning into this transformed world. And if, if any, anything that I believe is true, that I actually believe is true in my heart, I act according to that knowledge. And if I'm sitting here thinking, man, I don't know if I have faith, my challenge is, and I think the invitation is, okay, what has God told you is true, and how, if it's true, would your actions need to change? Not, by the way, so that you can act like it's true, but so that you can test, is it true? You get that? Discipleship? That's all it is. It's not, oh, I'm just going to... Take it on faith, as in, like, I don't really believe it or think it makes much sense. It's actually like, I'm going to take it on faith. I'm going to take what Jesus says on faith. And so, if Jesus says, I don't have to worry about my money, you know, because he watches over the sparrows, then you know what? I'm going to step into that, and I'm not going to worry about my money. And when I find myself worrying about my money, I'm going to say, Jesus, I know this is not what you say is right. How do I change this? How do I really do this stuff? The process of discipleship is, is this process of believing, understanding, acting, and then assessing. Right? That's all it is. That's really boring, right? Isn't that super boring? Wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be nice if it was just like, we just like sing louder songs and then we feel things, like, and then that's, that's it? No, like, like you're called to live a life, a life according to knowledge. Just like anything, like, like your life is like a school. You're learning what's true, living it out, trusting that knowledge, taking the next, next step, building upon that. That is what we're called to. Do not let that pass you by because you will eventually start to think, I don't, I don't get what any of this is. I don't get how any of this works. I don't get, like, why, like, how this faith thing is supposed to change my life. Faith changes your life when we believe what Jesus says and we act accordingly and we find that, in fact, Jesus wasn't lying. He, he's true. Like, he actually knew the truth. And when I live according to that truth, I find that, yeah, he does take care of me. And he is always with me. And though life will be difficult at times, God is faithful and good. And that reality is 
the kingdom of God and that God actually does talk to me. And when I pray and when I set my heart to seek him, he does draw near to me. We, we, we find that all this stuff is true, but we will never experience it to be true if we don't go ahead and live life as disciples. And so, like, I know that's very general. It's like kind of a 30,000-foot view of faith. But what we're going to be doing over the next couple weeks is we're going to be talking about this. Very practically, what are literally six things that we, and I hope it's a we, like, I'm going to encourage you guys, six things that we as I-90 Church can start doing spiritual disciplines, if you will, habits of discipleship that we can start doing that will be faith-building. Because again, I, I don't want you to just, I don't want to hype you up for 2023 because by March you'll be exhausted. <laughs> what I want you to do is set you up to live a transformed life. And so over the next six weeks, we're just going to talk about these things. I've got a great acronym. So... Pat myself on the back. I'm excited about the acronym. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. You're going to be really excited. It starts with a B. The first one's a B. Okay. So, um, so guys, I, I want you to think about like, like this new year, and I want to ask you guys to think about uh, living out your faith, okay? Living out your faith. And so come back next week and find out more uh, about that. A worship team can come up. Also next week, we're going to have a baptism. Um, so I'm pretty, yeah. A couple of people had, had like said, oh, hey, when are we going to have a baptism? We said, well, how about February or January 15th or whatever. Is that, is that 15th? Probably. Next week, whatever that is. Um, so we're going to have that. Um, so if you want to be baptized, by the way, we're going to have some water. So that's convenient. Um, if you've never been baptized as, as a follower of Jesus, that's one of those things that Jesus says, hey, this is part of, part of following me. You come, you get baptized, and you, you have this, like, transformed life of faith. You, you're acting, you're living your life, you're giving your life over to me, and, and this is a first step, part of believing. So if you've never, as an adult, um, been baptized since you believe, come on in. I think we have a heater, too, so it won't be cold. It's me selling it, right? Um, so, so be a part of that, and... Um, we will still jump into our everyday disciples, uh, you know, the, the, the first uh, step of how we can practically live out our faith, um, but uh, also have that baptism going. So I'm excited about that, guys. Um, I'm just totally, like, leaving you. I'm, like, teasing you. Come back. We'll get really practical with it. Uh, but let's pray. Go, we need your strength. We need your courage. We need courage that comes from you, Lord. We need faith. Um, you taught things that seem crazy. <laughs> that the kingdom of God is among us in this broken world. That you are bringing the kingdom. That if we just, just trust in you and believe in you, abide in you, that you're going to like pour out life, abundant life, change our very inner being, change the way it is to be, Lord. And God, like, I want that desperately. I think people in this room want that. Lord, we want to have a faith that can sustain us for our whole life. And so, Lord, even as we're just, just surveying the landscape, Holy Spirit, would you lead us into truth? Lord, would you, would you convict us? 
Lord, would you, would you show us what we need to do, how we need to follow you, God? We, we, we don't know. We want, to, we want to test this out, Lord, because we really believe that you say we, you are who you say you are. You're, you're the way, the truth, the life. Lord, Lord, you show us a way to have life, Lord. It's in you. It's by faith according to you. It's by your grace, God. Fill us up with your power. Fill us up with your spirit, God. Do not leave us, Lord. We are hungry and thirsty for you. Lord Jesus, bring us to the place of a transformed life. Lord, teach us to be everyday disciples. Lord, get us excited for what's coming in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand together as we just end service with this last song?